0: Good morning, church. I want to go ahead and say Merry Christmas to you. We're already starting in that season, right? So hope you got all your shopping done and all those things, right? Okay, great. And don't forget your friendly church staff as you're out there, right? So amen. Uh gift cards work great and um, green cash never fails. So just just taking it up for you guys, okay? Dan and Joe, uh, you know, selfless as it can be. Well, um, Satan had a strategy, it was that the demons should attend every Christmas office party and, and uh, office Christmas parties. And so um, he said, be sure that you help the people to say Merry Christmas to one another. Because as long as they keep it merry and don't get serious about it, we'll be all good. You know, uh, there's a time when you want to come to the point you realize that Christmas is a serious thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we uh, don't laugh. It doesn't mean that we don't experience joy. It doesn't mean that we have to be in a state of gloom and sorrow. But what I mean is that the meaning of it is a serious, serious matter. Uh, You know, all the pagans will sing Christmas songs uh, this month. I even saw... I know I ought not say this, but the Columbus Gay Men's Chorus having a Christmas concert. Rush out and get your tickets. Everybody, everybody likes Christmas. You know why? Because they don't know the meaning. And when they, until uh, they come to the point they know the meaning, then um, it'll just always be Merry Christmas and sleigh bells and Santa and so on. Well, Isaiah chapter 7. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of Isaiah because that's what it is in the Old Testament. This whole book is about Jesus. And if you're looking in chapter 7, and we'll be taking a look at verse 14, which is a familiar verse to you, a Christmas verse, and you know this well, but let me uh, just paint the frame of the context here and so that you'll understand what's going on. Ahaz is the king of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Now, at this time, Israel, of course, has been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and um, so the the northern kingdom has already gone apostate there, far from God, And uh, but remember that the, the promises of God were really to the house of David, which is the southern kingdom, and, uh, and Judah, and Jerusalem, and so the promise of God, and the promise of God was that he would bring someone to be on the throne to Reign as king on the throne of David forever. That was his promise. And God intended to keep his promise. Now Ahaz is not um, a particularly godly man. He's the king of Judah at this time. And so the northern kingdom along with Damascus, Syria. They band together and they want Judah to join them to attack Assyria which would be let's just say basically this Iran and Iraq today now if you think problems in the Middle East are a current issue well guess what wrong Uh, they've been going on since um, well Abraham's day and so here we have this coalition uh, they're wanting to, to build this confederation to attack this world power of Syria but Judah wants no part of it and Ahaz wants no part of it so as a result of that the Northern Kingdom, known as Israel, Samaria, and Damascus, Syria say this attacked Judah then if they won 't join us we 'll just conquer them and gain their territory and their goods and and so on and and so therefore we 'll have more power and strength, and uh, we'll be prepared for the Assyrian assault well Ahaz, Ahaz gets news of the attack and so he's quaking in his boots and all in his sandals and all of, uh, of Judah with him. And so this is when God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz and says to him, this shall not stand. You don't need to worry, Ahaz, because I'm God and they're not. And secondly, I have given to you and to the house of David a promise That you would never cease to exist because the Messiah is going to come through you and through your house. And so God says to Ahaz, I know that your faith is flawed, so I want to do this for you, Ahaz. Ask a sign of me, any sign, just anything, whether it's in heaven above or earth below. Just ask a sign and I'll give it to you and I'll prove to you. And encourage you to believe that the promise that I've made in the gospel is real. So, Ahaz has a different idea though. You see, we don't see it in uh, Isaiah 7 here in this part of the scripture. But Ahaz's idea is this. I don't know about that. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get in league with Assyria. And so he calls to, he's going to call to And This is what's in the back of his mind right now at this point. When God says, I'll give you a sign. And so Ahaz is like, you know, you know, I really don't want a sign. What I really want is some military force. And so he's, he's going to make a, a covenant with Assyria, a pagan nation, to protect Judah. Now, guys, we've studied enough Jewish history in the Bible to know where this is going to go. Right? Because the pagans always keep their word. Right? They always do. And uh, there's no chance whatsoever that Assyria is going to turn on Jude at some point, is there? Well, no, right. And so, um, but Ahaz is thinking that it's better to have the power and strength of man on your side than to put your faith in God. And so here's what Ahaz says to God in, in, a, in just very, uh, it's, it's very hypocritically pious. He says, oh God, far be it from me. To test the Lord and ask for a sign. Now, the Bible does not really encourage us as Christians to ask for signs. God encourages us to believe His Word. Really understand that in the Bible, when people ask for a sign, like Gideon, for example, it's really lack of faith that they're demonstrating there, not taking God at His Word. God sometimes, in His grace and mercy, will condescend to that. And I imagine that in the heavens he rolls his eyes and goes, okay, and does it. But it's not the the way he normally operates. This situation, though, with Ahaz is different because God gives Ahaz a command. He, He says to Ahaz, ask me for a sign. See that in verse 11? Ask a sign of the Lord. God commands him to ask. And Ahaz basically says, yeah, nah, I'm going to lean on Assyria is what I'm going to do. You can have the spiritual stuff. That's for church. But when it comes to the practical things in life, I think I'll lean on Assyria over here to protect me from the northern kingdom and from Damascus, Syria. So that's the context of verse 14. And so when we get to verse 14, Here's what God says through Isaiah, the prophet. God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, he rebukes uh, Ahaz, but not just Ahaz, the whole house of David, all of Judah. He says to them, it's too little of a thing for you to weary men that you weary me also. In other words, God says, my patience is done with you people. I'm about done here. And so then he says in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign in his contemporary situation. The sign that God announces here is not for Ahaz. It's important to know that. The sign that God announces in verse 14 is for all of Judah. And not just for that day. But for the future, what God is reminding Judah of in this particular announcement of a sign is simply this. Did I not say that you would never fail to have a descendant of David upon the throne of David to rule and reign forever? Did I not say? And God has said. And so God here is saying to Judah, well then why don't you go ahead and contact Assyria and see how that plays out for you. But as for me, I want to remind you of this one thing. The gospel shall not fail. Whatever choice you may make, Ahaz, is up to you. Go ahead and make that choice. There are consequences to pay. But as for me, I want to reaffirm to Judah and to all of the world that the gospel shall not fail. Has God not said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan? God had promised already, and He continued to promise that one that's greater than Moses would come, and that if they didn't listen to Him, they would be cast out from among God's people. Has God not announced God had also said to the, to the house of David, I will put someone on the throne greater than Solomon that will rule and reign forever. He will be my son. God had already announced. And so now we have here Ahaz saying, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about this Christmas thing after all. I think I'll turn to the world to get my assurance and my security. And so God says, go right ahead and do that. But I've got an announcement for all of Judah and for the world. That behold, a virgin, the virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I want us to to break this one verse down into three sections, of course. It can't be a sermon unless it has three points in a poem, right? So, I'd just to organize this, maybe to help us to think through it uh, a little bit more clearly. And may the Holy Spirit of God drive this home to our hearts. First of all, you see here the infallible sign of Christmas. God says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, there are two reasons that this sign that God is going to give. And, a, and, a, and Isaiah is, through the prophetic eyes, he's looking out into the future. He sees at this point a vision, not of something in Ahaz's day, but he's seeing a vision of the future. And God is revealing this to him and and Isaiah is announcing it. And so he is saying this is an infallible sign. It cannot fail. This sign cannot fail. What are the reasons why is it that this sign cannot fail? There are two reasons. First of all, because of the integrity of God's word. Isaiah said, the Lord himself will do this. We know that God always keeps his word. Always. If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have had some point in time in your life, maybe multiple points and times in your life in which you begin to doubt your salvation. Do you know why you doubt? Because you begin to look at your faith and the quality of your faith. That will always cause doubt. Doubt. Because I want to tell you, the quality of your faith is yucky. It's not very good. It's flawed. It's got holes all in it. But do you know how to get past that? You look at what God has said. When you look at what God has said, He has never wavered. He has never failed. God has always kept His word. The Bible says of Him, if we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If God did not keep his word, he would be something other than himself. He would not be God. He cannot lie, the Bible says. God is reliable. His word is indisputable. His word is infallible, because he is the author of it. His word never fails. So we know that what God is saying here, that it is an infallible, unfailing sign of Christmas because of the integrity of God's word. When God says it, that's the way that it is. Now also this, here's another reason that we can believe that this sign would not fail. Not only because of the integrity of God's word. But also because of the certainty of God's word. The Bible here says the Lord himself will give you a sign. He will do it. The first question that we answered was this. Is God reliable? And the answer is yes. He remains faithful. He is reliable. But the second question is this. Is God able? I would like to think that my word is reliable, that if I say that I will do X, Y, and Z, that I'll do it. But you know what I'm not always, uh, you know what? I, it's not always true to me? That I'm not always able. Sometimes people say, well, you didn't keep your word. Man, I wasn't able. I wanted to, or I didn't keep it at the, according to your timetable. Some of y'all ask me to do something. I say, I'll do it, and you start the clock. And if I haven't done it within 60 seconds, then I haven't kept my word. By the way, there are other things going on in life besides you. I don't know if you recognize that or not, but there are. So God is always able, though. See, the problem with us, we're not always able. We're our best intentions, and we always come up short. But God is able. He will give you a sign. The Bible says of God, He does whatever pleases Him. Whatever pleases Him. God does that. The Bible also reminds us, for with God nothing shall be impossible. So not only is God reliable, but God is able. And so when we look at this sign that God is providing here for all of the world, this infallible sign of Christmas, can it possibly be? And not only possibly could be, but it infallibly will be. Because God has said it. So this infallible sign of Christmas is given here. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Also this. What we see in verse 14 is not only the infallible sign of Christmas, but the impossible circumstances of Christmas. This sign was such a sign that it could not be faked. Now, this morning in my Sunday school class, we were talking about the works of the Holy Spirit that are... Not really the works of the Holy Spirit. They're faked things that people do. And so we're talking about... This sign, though, that God's given... He's going to give one that cannot be faked. No No one can produce this. God has given a sign that's impossible. Now, let me explain to you why this sign is impossible. His sign is, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And shall call his name Emmanuel. Now if you'll read commentators. Boy they just have all kinds of things to say about this. In order to try to bring this down to the dirt level. So it's not even a sign at all. But it has to be something that's impossible. Or else it's not a sign. And so God has given something a circumstance here. That would be impossible to duplicate. Impossible to fake. Something that when he does this, we would know that it is God who has done it. And let me give you two aspects of this that show that this sign is an impossible circumstance. The first aspect of this showing that it's impossible circumstance is the miraculous pregnancy. Now... The Bible says here, the virgin shall conceive. Let me um, give you something here that uh, I do not want this to be complicated. But I I do want you to um, be aware of this. Okay, so here here we go. (laughs) You you have your Bible there. So I want you to, to put your finger on. The word shall conceive, those two words. See that? Now, for you English teachers, that is a verb shall conceive. Did you know that in the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, it's not a verb, it's an adjective. An adjective describes the condition of the noun. The noun there is the virgin. The adjective is pregnant. Describing the condition of the virgin. It's not talking about something that will happen. Even though this is a future prophecy. It's talking about the condition of the subject. You say, well, what does that matter? Well, here's what that matters The translation should be this. Behold the pregnant virgin. Now then. Please spare me the biology class right now. But I just want to make an announcement to you in case you have never thought about this. Virgins cannot be pregnant. Now, guys, if you're not quite sure or clear on that, see me in the Andrew room afterwards. We can help you. It's an impossibility. What the the prophecy is saying is there's a woman here that is a virgin and still a virgin, but yet pregnant. How can that be? Behold the pregnant virgin. Now, some of you have a Christian standard uh, Bible. And it might be that in your margin, it will have actually that translation. It's not a difficult thing for a person that is a virgin to become pregnant, but it is impossible for a virgin to be pregnant. This is impossible. This is biologically impossible. Now, here's the other thing. The word virgin here. I hope that you don't have one of those God-forsaken translations that translate this as merely young woman. That ain't this. Now, in the scriptures, the Hebrew word that's used here is always a young woman That is eligible for marriage. In our culture that means about anything under 50. No matter what you live like. But in the culture of the Old Testament. To be eligible for marriage. Means that you had not had sex yet. If you're a young woman. And that's exactly what the scripture means here. So in our interpretation of this, so many times the current commentators read our culture back onto the scripture. And by the way, that has become a problem. The interpretation of scripture is now being touted as something that must be done through your culture. Your culture, human culture. And that the only way to get the proper interpretation of Scripture is to consult all the different cultures that might read their culture into the text. That is wrong. We get our interpretation from the culture of the Scripture and from the context of the writing of the Scripture. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or yellow or purple. It makes no difference. The Bible Means what it meant. First of all. My culture is a thing that must be judged by the scripture. Rather than my culture judging the scripture. Southeastern Seminary needs to wake up. Somebody record that and send it to. Spineless Danny. I am so sick of this stuff. Our favorite publishing company a few years back put out some Sunday school literature and they just waffled all around on this about whether this was a virgin or not well I was polite I know that's hard for y'all to believe but I was (laughs) I just sent them a polite letter and said "Um, well listen uh, I think the correct uh, translation there is virgin And so they sent me a letter back, which was a shocker, and said, the best commentaries are unclear. I sent them a letter back. And I said, y'all ain't looked at my commentaries. I have the best ones. And then I consulted the final commentary, the Gospel of Matthew. And so I would suggest that you all consult better commentaries. If you need help, let me know. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to grab some 25-year-old that blogs about her children. I am just so sorry what you all are subjected to these days, but you'll have to decide. Not only that, the oldest translation of the Old Testament is the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament in Greek, and it uses the word for virgin. So... This is what I'm getting at. The evidence is overwhelming that what God is saying here is a sign that it really breaks down to this. There is a woman, a young woman, who is a virgin, and she will find herself pregnant even though she will remain a virgin. Um, It's talking about Mary, guys. Lord, have mercy. But there's something else here. And it's not as maybe um, salient of a point as this first one. But but nonetheless, it does support the fact that this is an impossible circumstance. And that is this miraculous delivery. She's going to bear a son. Now, number one, biologically, she ain't supposed to be getting pregnant. Secondly, bearing a son... Is the other issue. Here's the thing. Joseph knew. See. This wasn't Joseph's child. Joseph knew. Whether or not. This sign came to pass. See because. The scripture says. In Matthew chapter 1. and verse 25. That Joseph called his name. Jesus when he was born. Now, one, if a girl is born, this is bad news. Because <laughs> there ain't no sign, all right? And secondly, secondly, if, well, when the delivery came, if there wasn't evidence that she was still a virgin, this is a problem. Joseph would have not even, in his culture, he would not even have acknowledged the existence of that child in this situation. I know for us in our culture, it's hard for us to understand that because people just pop out babies now left and right. It's like one guy's asking another guy about his adult son. And he said, Well, his your son and, and his fiance get married? Yeah, they got married. Well, good. And the baby's doing two months. And his friend said to him, man, that's awfully fast. I'll guarantee you the next one will be nine months old. See, people, people we don't have any kind of class about ourselves anymore about these kinds of things. In the, in the Old Testament, in those days, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so Joseph, even by naming the child, shows the acceptance of the sign. So the importance of all this is, is simply this. One, the trustworthiness of the Bible. God had said, this is the way that it will be. An impossibility, and I will bring it to pass as a sign to the entire world. And so God is reliable in what he says. Secondly, this is an important point. That it is that this validates and verifies the fact that Jesus is the Savior. You see, if Jesus is not born this way, then Jesus is simply a contributor to all the sinfulness that we already have going on in our world. He's no savior. Maybe he was a good man. Maybe he was a good martyr. I I don't know. Maybe he was some kind of social genius that could get people to follow him. I don't know. But he's not a savior. If there's no virgin birth, there's no Savior. This is not the fulfillment of the promise of God. This is something else. If this is not the virgin birth. This is why this is a fact. You may trust Jesus and not know a lot about the virgin birth. You, you could do that. But if you reject the virgin birth, it shows that you have not trusted on Jesus. You can't reject The virgin birth of Christ and be a Christian. You can't reject this and be a follower of Christ. Why? Because you are believing on another Jesus. You're not believing upon the Jesus who is the fulfillment of the promise of God according to the sign which God has given. You have already started out trying to believe with doubt. That's not faith in Jesus. That's another gospel that you're trying to believe. And you're trying to believe in another Jesus rather than the Jesus of the Bible. Now, friends, that's straight up, just as straight as I can make it. And you're not going to hear that a lot in our world today. But it's just the reality You have to believe on this Jesus according to this sign, according to the word that God has given in order to have the salvation that God describes in his word. You can't do everything else your own way and then come out at the end and get the salvation that you think God owes you. It doesn't work that way. The impossible circumstance of Christmas. God puts this in a circumstantial situation that's absolutely impossible that it would ever be fulfilled apart from from God and that is a serious matter. So let me let me do this. The infallible sign of Christmas. The Lord himself is going to give you the sign. The impossible circumstance. Behold the pregnant virgin. Now look at this. The incredible savior of Christmas. That leads us to this. His name They shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a sign because, we number one, we don't know anybody else in all the Old Testament whose name's Emmanuel. So, th- this, is, this is definitely a sign, even the name here. But what does the name mean? Well, if you're looking at the, the name Emmanuel, you see that? The last two letters of that name, E-L, L, that's God. The first letters leading up to that mean with us, The word means God with us. The name means God with us. In this one name, we see His deity. He is God. It is God who is coming. It's not just some random woman somewhere in Judah who happens to have a kid during a tough time. This is God with us. It's not God sending down an angel to try to help us. It's not God sending another prophet to try to instruct us. It is not God sending a social worker to heal us. It is God Himself with us. This is the announcement. The sign of all signs of the gospel is God with us. People asking, looking for a sign. Look at Jesus. He is the sign. God with us. His deity and His humanity. He is with us. The miracle of all miracles. The impossibility of all impossibilities. Is simply this. That somehow. The second person of the Trinity. The Son of God. Would wrap Himself. In the frail flesh of humanity. And take upon Himself even a human soul. And a human nature. Two natures in one being. The nature of deity and the nature of humanity. Unmixed but yet existing, coexisting in the one person, Jesus of Nazareth. When we look at Jesus, we see God. Have I been so long with you, Philip, and you still have not seen the Father? I and my Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. God with us. There is no solution for human sin. Legislation will not cure it. Protests will not cure it. Twitter rants will not cure cure psychoanalysis will not cure it public education will not cure it the only cure for the dark twisted nature of humanity is god in human flesh living among us the perfect life and by the way he lived it out of his humanity he did not cheat and reach over into his deity he lived perfectly through his humanity alone went to a cruel cross in his humanity and suffered the wrath of the judgment of heaven upon his person in the place of all who would believe upon him so that he would be judged instead of them and rose from the dead on the third day proving not only is he the savior but he is also the Lord. That is the incredible savior of Christmas. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man. And it is this man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Christmas is a weird time. Random people give you gifts And you feel obligated to give them one back. We call it gift exchange, not gift giving. Do you know that? The hardest thing to do is to take a gift from someone and have nothing to give back. You feel embarrassed. You feel a little humiliated. It's awkward. You feel bad because did you forget them? You feel things like, man... They think a lot of me, I never they never cross my mind. And so it's a terrible feeling when somebody does that. And so you stress and labor thinking not to whom shall I give during Christmas, but with whom must I exchange? And you try to think through that. God help you if somebody gave you something and you didn't have something to give back. You'd go rushing over to Walmart and get a gift card in a jiffy. Because you are not going to owe anybody. That's what Christmas is. Get through it without owing anybody except the credit card company. That's what that is. Because we just don't like the feeling of receiving something and just humbly saying thank you. I didn't get you anything. Thank you for thinking of me though. And so we have a hard time with that. Christmas is not... About exchanging gifts. It's about receiving one. The problem with us our, in our humanity is that we don't like that feeling of not being allowed to work for it, not being allowed to pay God back for it, not being able to exchange something with God of equal value. Oh, you give me salvation? Okay, well, I'll give you this. And so we want to bargain with God. Make sure that we're on the, on the level with God. My friend, salvation, there is no level. It's all from up there down to here. Period. It's a gift. And if you're going to receive the gift of salvation. Then you have to understand that it's not about exchanging. The exchange Has happened outside of you. Apart from you. Without your input. Without your thought. Without your understanding. Without your counsel. The exchange has already taken place. Where the son of God. Exchanged his life in your place. So that you may have his. That's the exchange. And you had nothing to do with it. It's by grace. That you're saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift that has come from heaven to the sinner. How do you get the gift Receive Humbly, in humility, and even humiliation. You just bow your head and you just say, thank you, Lord, for the gift of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how it happens. Everybody wants to do all that they can. To make sure God gets paid back. You can't pay him back. Can't pay him back. There's no paying back. We owe him everything. But we can't pay him back. We owe all that we have. But it's not enough payment it's not enough too many people in salvation they want to make it some kind of exchange with god it's not that way at all it is coming to the end of yourself to realize i have no resources i have nothing by which i can purchase this salvation zero god holds all the cards i hold nothing i have no leverage i have no bargaining chip I have no ace in the hole. I got nothing. You come to God with nothing. You come with empty hands. You come as a beggar. That's how you come to God. And when you come to Jesus on those terms, on your knees as a beggar, you rise up as a king. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord for the true message of Christmas. Father, we recognize that in these days in which we live, the Godhead is not just veiled in flesh, but he is hidden behind the curtains of the activities and traditions that surround the human celebration of Christmas. Father, I pray that you would cause us to take this situation in which we find ourselves for Christmas more seriously. That, Father, rather than mere cheerfulness, there would be joy. Father, rather than the surface emotions, uh, that there would be a deep blessedness. Father, I pray for those who have not yet received your gift may you call them today may they see in their heart the name tag with their name on it nailed to the cross Father I pray today that you would stir in their heart and life that they would so see the treasure of Jesus that he is worth rejecting and leaving all other worldly things behind that they may have him and the power of his resurrection Father, may the Spirit of God work in an undeniable and irresistible way upon those whom you would call today. Father, I pray also for those of us who are your saints, that, oh God, in these days we would live holy lives, because Emmanuel, God with us, has come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.